Father, we thank you for this time. We pray now that as we look into your word that you would open it up for us. That, Lord, it would touch our hearts and change the way that we live, the way that we think. So, Lord, we give you this time now. We thank you and we praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, let's all take our seats. For those of you parents who weren't expecting your children to be in here with you today, um, I apologize. We weren't able to finish the reconstruction back there in the kids' zone quickly enough. But um, <clears throat> give them a piece of candy or something if they get rowdy. And I will try to make it. Uh, I'll, I'll, I, my plan is to move a little quicker today, seeing what the children are in, are in here because I know they get impatient. But then I started thinking, I've got a lot of adults that get impatient too. So <clears throat> I had one teenager say one time, tell her mother, she said, Pastor Dave needs to learn how to summarize. <laughs> so <laughs> I realize I go a little long sometimes, but today I'm telling you up front, I'm going to try not to. Don't promise anything, but I'm trying, okay? All right, we're coming to the end of the study in Joshua. Next week will be our last Sunday in the book of Joshua. And next week we're going to talk about the subject of blind faith. Um, what it is and why it's important to understand it and what it means to us. Um, so please plan to be here next week for that. Today we're going to be talking about Joshua's last words. Uh, he gathers the nation of Israel together and he gives them his last challenge. Um, this is important because you know as well as I do that if somebody's giving you their last words, if they know they're going to die, and they want to say something to you, and they write you a letter or something like that, then you know that what they say is um, is profound because they know that this is the last thing they're going to be able to say to you. And this is the same way with, the, with what Joshua is doing here with the nation of Israel. Joshua was a man, just like Caleb was, we studied last week, that uh, walked with the Lord so faithfully all of the years of his life, and he has gone through so much. And he has been faithful to the Lord and has never wavered. And now he looks at the nation that he's been guiding all of these years and responsible for. And he's saying to them that I want you to be the same way. But in doing so, he shares with them some things that I want to bring out today. Now, there's a whole lot in there that we're not going to be looking at. I'm looking, we're just summarizing basically the last two chapters of this book. And I'm only going to bring out a few verses that sort of summarize what he is saying here, because I think that he reveals to us maybe a secret, um, a, a secret to his success, a secret to his victorious life that he's lived. And that's what I want us to look at and to take home with us today as we try to understand this life that we're living, this Christian life, and how it is God wants us to live it. Now, as far as the background is concerned and where we are in this story, Joshua is on the verge of dying. He realizes that. He dies at 110 years old. Um, if you were to go back to last week's message, you remember Caleb. Caleb and Joshua were the spies who uh, 47 years earlier had uh, given a good report. And it says in that story we looked at last week, Caleb says, I'm 85 years old now and I want this portion of land that was promised to me. I've got to believe that probably Joshua is close to the age of Caleb. They're probably around the same age. So think about this. 
At 85 years old, they had finished the campaign in the land. They had conquered 36 kings and taken the land. The only thing left to do was for them to go in now individually to their own particular inheritance and mop up and clean up and drive out the remainder of the enemy. Now, if Joshua is now 110, you're looking at probably 20 to 25 years that have gone by from the time that the land was secured and then divided up among the tribes, probably 20 or 25 years have gone by. So with that in mind, he gathers the nation together after 20 or 25 years to give them his last instructions or challenge, if you will. I want to read for you this passage, uh, these three verses that I want to show you here. But before I do, I want you to pay attention to the descriptive words in these verses. Um, you'll, you'll see what I mean as we go through this, and I'll, I'll draw them out for you when we talk about it. But you can pick up on it. The descriptive words as he unfolds for them what he wants from them and expects from them. In Joshua 23, verses 6 through 8, here's what it says. Be very strong. Be careful to obey. All that is written in the book of the law of Moses, without turning aside to the right or to the left. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them. But you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. Now there's three different parts that I want to draw out today. And we're sort of summarizing everything that he says in two chapters. We're just not going to go through it in detail. But I want to summarize it and bring it together in three distinctive challenges that he, that he gives for these people. And again, I, what caught my attention as I was studying this is the descriptive words that he throws in there that emphasizes these points. Now, let me show you. Here's the first thing in verse 6. He says, be very strong. Now, he didn't just say be strong. He didn't say be courageous. He didn't say the normal things that you would expect to hear um, as, as someone is challenging someone else. He says, I want you to be very strong. Now, he's emphasizing this for a reason. This is no joking matter to him. This is very important. I want you to have extraordinary strength. Now, which seems kind of odd when you think about it. The worst of their, their fighting is over. They've conquered all these kings, these great kingdoms. And now only, the only thing that is left to do is to mop up these pockets of little towns and cities that are there in the land. And now he says to them, now's the time to be very strong. Now my question that I have as I read this is, is this. Why is it that he's telling them to be very strong at this point and strong in what way? What's he talking about? Well, as you read the two chapters, if you take the time to do that, you're going to find that what he's doing is that he's talking about standing strong, very strong, against the culture that you're going to be exposed to now. Because here's the problem you're going to have to face, Israelites. Uh, God told you to get rid of these people. God told you to go in and finish the job and complete it the way I, uh, he had told us to. But, but you didn't. So now you're in danger. Because the culture that still remains there in the land is going to influence you. You may be stronger than they are militarily, but they are going to permeate your 
uh, your families, your, your towns. It's just going to take over, and you're going to have to be very strong to stand against this. It's almost as if Joshua was drawing a line in the sand, and he's saying to these people, you're going to have to stand up because I know the temptation. I know the temptation that you're going to face to give in, to just turn the other way and not look at it, to not face it, the reality of what's there. And you're going to fall, find yourself being susceptible to this. And if not you, then your children. I want you to notice something because in verse 7, he sort of explains this. In Joshua 23, 7, he says, Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them. Uh, he said, I understand the temptation and what you're going to face. Now, here's the, the problem. See, Joshua knew that they're going to want to follow the crowd. They're going to want to be like the other people. There has always been with this nation of people this weakness toward idolatry. From the time they left Egypt, this has always been a, a, a draw for them, and I don't understand it. But do you know that since the land was finally conquered under Joshua and the land was divided up, those 20 or 25 years now that have gone by? Well, let me show you. Here's what had happened in the interim. I want to jump over to chapter 24 for just a moment and show you these two verses. Because Joshua has gathered them together and he's asked them to, to uh, given them a challenge to, to live for the Lord. And here's what it says. In verse 22 it says, Then Joshua said, You are witnesses against yourself that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Now he's asked them to take a step up and, and commit to, to walking with the Lord from now on. They said, yes, we are witnesses, they replied. We've done this. Now watch this verse. This is what I want you to see in verse 23. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. Now if you read through that real fast, you'll miss it. 20 or 25 years ago, when they finally conquered the land, idolatry wasn't a problem because they had rooted out all of the major kings and kingdoms. Something has happened over the last 20 or 25 years because idolatry has now become a problem again in the nation of Israel. And some of them had taken to worshiping idols. Now, I don't know about you. <laughs> I just can't believe this. I can't understand it. Think with me for a moment because, you know, back when... Uh, Moses had taken them up to go into the land and they sent the spies in and they chickened out and all of this. And, and God said, well, only Joshua and Caleb are going to go in. And every other man of fighting age from the year, age of 20 years and younger can go into the land, but the rest of you are going to die in the wilderness. So now, now think of this through, okay? Because every teenager that was in Egypt, that came out of Egypt, has gone through the wilderness and through these campaigns and has divided up the land. And now these are the adults. These are the same people when they were teenagers that saw the miracles in Egypt. These were the same people who saw the Passover. 
and experienced the death of firstborn of all of Egypt. These are the same people that witnessed God bringing them out and taking them through the Red Sea. These are the same people who witnessed God's miraculous provision for them in the wilderness when He fed them manna from heaven each and every day. When Moses would speak to a rock and would bring forth water for them. When their clothes wouldn't wear out and their feet didn't swell and their health was maintained through those 40 years of wilderness. They saw that. They, they came across the Jordan River with, with Joshua and their first battle was in Jericho and they saw the walls collapse. They were there. They saw the day the sun stood, stood still until the battle was finished. They saw that miraculous event. They were there through the death of 36 pagan kings and the destruction of his army, their armies. They were there. And now 20 plus years later, they're living in the land where God said this is the land of milk and honey. Remember that? Remember when the spies went in and brought back out the grapes and they had to hang it on a pole, just one cluster, one cluster. They had to hang it on a pole between two men to carry it because it was so big. This was a fertile land and they have seen God bless them. They have seen God fulfill His promises. And now you're telling me they're back into idolatry? How? Well, Joshua knew how. The same way you and I, the same way you and I, after all the blessings that God has shown us and all the things that God has done for us, we give in to the culture around us too. You see, we succumb to it. If it were an onslaught, a frontal assault against Christianity, we'll all stand up and say, we'll fight for you, Lord. We'll love you, Lord. We'll do this and that. But you see, it usually isn't that way. It's usually very subtle and the norms of, of society are challenged and the cultural pressure is put on to make some changes. And it's sometimes this easy for us as Christians to get comfortable and just do nothing and just be quiet. And pretty soon you look back and you look at your country and you think to yourself, my gosh, how did we get here? And we got there because we didn't take a stand when we needed to. We didn't draw a line in the sand. We weren't very strong, you see. And so it's easy to understand how that we as a nation of people and we as Christians can, some of us at least, and I've encountered people over my years of ministry, can begin to question whether, well, maybe abortion is right. See, maybe it's okay because after all, you know, you've got a poor woman over here who can't afford to have a baby and, and she's young and you don't want her life ruined. And, and so to let her have an abortion, I mean, maybe that's okay. How did that get okay? Is sin not still sin? Did something change that we don't know about? Legalized drugs. You get hit with this more and more and more until finally we as Christians just tend to go with the flow, you see. We just say, well, yeah, why not? So why not legalize heroin and, and just sort of control it and let people do what they want to do? And gay lifestyles. Why not just go along with that? Because, you know, after all, maybe it's true. Maybe people are born that way. And it's not just a choice. And maybe we ought to be more kind and gracious and just say it's okay, it's, it's not a sin. Maybe God accepts it and it's okay. You know, I've got friends that are 
in this, and um, I love them dearly, and I always will. I'll never turn my back on, on my friends, but I'll never say it's okay. I'll never say that it's not sin. I'll never give in to a change in society or a change in what is right and what is wrong. See, greed is a big one today. Uh, we are not just us, but many people who are in business. They go to church on Sunday, loving parents, loving spouses, and, and good people in church, and, 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 and loving Christians even. even. And, and then they get out into the world Monday through Friday, and they cheat, lie, steal. They'll run right over and take advantage of people. And, and their excuse is this, and we bought into this because here's what they say. They say, well, that's just business. And see, business is business, and church is church, and somehow we've made a distinction between that. And Christians have bought into it because over the years of my ministry, I have known many, many men who might just cheat your eyeballs out in the name of business and go to church on Sunday like it's no big deal. Open marriages or no marriage, more and more you see this today. Swingers, yeah. Six or seven years ago, we had a few of them come through here. They're not here anymore, but they were here. It's part of society, see? It's part of not being very strong. Not taking a stand, not saying this is wrong. And what happens when we as God's people don't do that? We'll end up worshiping idols, so to speak. Maybe not carved idols of another God. We're all, you know, keep coming to church, but we worship the things that society worships. We go along with what they want because we're not very strong. And so, yeah, Joshua's challenge to these people, yeah, it's very relevant. Because the same thing is true of you and me. You and I have got to be very strong in this. Because if we are not, the culture in this world will permeate our lives in such a way that you won't be able to tell the difference between us and them. Now, please understand what I'm saying because I've, I've told you this before. There's a balance. I can love sinful people without loving their sin. And we've got to learn how to do that. And so this is why I keep telling you we don't, we're not legalistic. We don't become so, so judgmental that we turn people away. But at the same time, we cannot ever accept as a norm the sinful behavior of people, no matter how much we love them. And so when Joshua says to you and me that we need to be very strong, this is what he's talking about. You need to be very strong and take a stand of what is right and what is wrong. And in his day and age, it was very, very important because it literally ruined the nation. And when we get into the book of Judges here in a couple of weeks, it's just a continuation of what happened to them after this. It is... It is uh, it's a sad situation, a sad story. But I think that it's something that we need to look at. So that was the first one, be very, very strong. Here's the second challenge that he gives them, and that is this. To be very, I'm sorry, to be, to be careful to obey. To be careful to obey. Now, he didn't just say, hey, you need to be more obedient. He didn't just say, hey, you need to obey the Lord more. 
He said, you need to be careful to obey. Watch this. In verse 6, he's just told them to be very strong. And now he says, be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. Be careful to obey. What does that mean, careful? Well, he means you're going to have to put some attention into it. You're going to have to take the time to make some plans ahead of time. Now listen to me, guys, okay? Obedience doesn't take place accidentally. You are not going to be obedient when you're in the heat of the moment trying to make a decision. You are going to have to plan it ahead of time. This is what he means by being careful to obey. Give it some attention before you ever get there. And let me just say this, okay? This is especially, especially important to our young people. That you have got to make a decision now what you're going to do when you're put into a situation or find yourself in a situation where the temptation is so strong that you have to make a, 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 a split in, a decision in the heat of the moment, let's say. In the spur of the moment, you have to decide. I would suggest that you put some careful thought into it and that you plan. Because I can tell you right now, if you rely on your emotions, you will fall into sin. It could be in any area of morality. It could be in anger. If you wait and you say, well, I'll, I'll deal with it when it happens, and you have a tendency toward anger, believe me, this is what's going to happen. You're going to explode, and you're going to create more damage than you probably can repair. I think that it's important that each one of us know our weaknesses. I know mine. I don't have to share them with you, but I know what they are. And I believe that you should too. And be honest with yourself. Be honest and say to yourself, if it's in the area of morality, then to be able to say, you know what, I've really got a problem with that. And I have a weakness. And, and, and whatever the reason, to be able to say, this is my weakness, and I have got to make a plan now, and to put some careful thought into this, that when I'm in a situation, or allow myself to be in a situation, that tempts me, then this is what I'm going to do. I have to decide that now. You know, if you, if you know that your weakness is anger, then you have to decide now that when you feel it welling up inside of you in the moment and you feel like you're going to explode, what are you going to do? Careful thought to be obedient. But you and I have to do that if we're ever, ever going to control the things that we're going to be faced with in life. I'm going to move quickly. Here's the third thing that I want to share with you. The third thing that Joshua challenges the people with, and here it is. To hold fast to the Lord. In Joshua 23, verse 8, listen to what he says. But you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. Now, what does this mean, to hold fast? Now, he just doesn't say, hey, hold on to the Lord, maintain your faith, trust the Lord, Hang in there. He says, I want you to hold fast. What does that mean? Well, here's what I think. Now, this is just my opinion, okay, because I don't know that there's any, anything in the language that's going to give us the answer to this, but here's what I, at least the picture that I have. I have a picture of a person who maybe on the third floor of their building is hanging out the window, cleaning their windows, and they fall. 
And before they clear the window, they grab a hold of the windowsill. And they are holding on by their fingertips. And they are holding fast. They've got a death grip on that windowsill. They can't quite get themselves up and they're screaming for help, but they're not about to let go because they're just an inch away from dying. Just the length of a fingertip. And they are holding fast to the windowsill. When Joshua tells these people to hold fast to the Lord, I think this is what he's trying to get across. That you know what? There will be times when your faith is going to be challenged. Your faith is going to be challenged as to whether God has forgotten you, whether God even cares, whether God even still loves you. And you're going to have to hold on fast with maybe just your fingertips with just whatever you can grab a hold to as far as your knowledge and understanding of who God is and what, it, what He means. Let me give you some examples. You're a parent and you get a call one night or a policeman comes and knocks on your doors and your 16-year-old daughter or son has been killed in a car wreck. Believe me. You're holding on by your fingertips. All kinds of questions are going through your mind. All kinds of fears. All kinds of anger. Oh. You don't understand why God did this. Why God allowed it. Has God forgotten me? Does God not care about me anymore? You find yourself going through a divorce that you never wanted. Never wanted it. You get blindsided by this announcement that your spouse is leaving. And you begin to question all of those things and your faith is shattered. You look at this world around us and you look at the politicians in Washington and the stupidity that is so prevalent and you think to yourself, where's God in all this? Has He forgotten this nation? Has He just turned His back on us and you're holding on by your fingertips? You look at this country and where we're headed and the changes that are taking place, knowing full well that in 10 years we might be a socialist country, and you wonder where in the world is God in all of this? And your faith is being challenged everywhere you turn. Is God going to come through? Is God going to do what He said He would do? Is God, does He even love me anymore? And in the middle of all that, Joshua's telling the people, you've got to hold fast to the Lord. It may be just your fingertips, guys, but you've got to hold on to what you know to be true. And see, here's the important thing. Now, this is what makes all the difference. I'm in a situation with the death of a loved one or a disaster in my family or whatever it may be, and I'm questioning whether God loves me. I'm questioning whether God is real. I'm questioning all, all kinds of things. And it's in that moment that you've got to hang on by the tips of your fingers, if that's what it takes, But what you're hanging on to is the truth of what you know about God. I may have doubts about what's going on, but this thing I know to be true. For example, I know that God's still on the throne. I know that He's still in charge. And whatever happens in my life, and as bad as it may be, I know that, and I'm hanging on to that. My life seems to be falling apart around me, but I I know for a fact that God wasn't taken by surprise. I know that God understands it. God is aware of it. 
You ever thought about this? The one thing you'll never hear God say, listen, you'll never hear God say, gee, I didn't see that coming. Never. Because God is never taken by surprise. And you and I have to stand on that and we have to hold on to that. The Bible tells me that God loves me. That He chose to love me. That it's not because I've done anything good to deserve it. He just chose to love me. And I need to stand on that because sometimes I don't feel loved and I bet you don't either. When things happen in life that look... You know, we're stricken by disease, lose a loved one, family falls apart, whatever it may be. God, do you still love me? And I have to hold on with my fingertips to what the Scripture tells me, that God loves me. And He hasn't forsaken me. He has not forgotten me. And so, yeah, when, when Joshua says to hold on to the Lord, this is what he's talking about. You hold on fast to what you've seen and what you know. Because, Christian, here's the main thing you've got to remember, okay? In the end, we win. Always. Do you understand? And so I hold on to that. Through sickness, through disaster, through whatever, we hold on fast to what we know to be true. I want to jump to chapter... 24, but before I do, let me just sort of summarize these points, okay? Every believer, every one of us has to make a decision. We have to decide what we're going to do about these things that I've talked about and how we're going to respond to them. And the challenge is clear. Because if I'm going to have victory in my life, then it's going to require some changes, and most of all, it's going to require that I step up like Joshua was asking these people to do, and I make a decision. I say, God, here I am, and I, this is what I'm facing, and Lord, I stand with you. I pledge that today, and I'm going to walk with you faithfully from this point on. Because that's exactly what he did. This is what Joshua did with the people there that day. I'm dying, see, he said, I'm dying. But my heart is for you. And I'm, I'm begging you now to make this decision. So here's what he says. Now listen carefully. Joshua 24, verses 14 through 15. Listen to what he says. He says, Now fear the Lord and serve Him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But... If serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, now listen, serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Okay, I'm leaving. Now you've got to make a choice. You either take a stand for God now, or you probably never will. And you've got to decide, and it's okay to say it. I'm going to walk with the Lord or I'm not. Be honest with yourself and be honest with God. If this sounds undesirable to you, then choose the other and just admit it. But let me tell you, he says, for me and my household, we're going to serve the Lord until the day we die. But you have to decide. 
You have to decide. Are you done playing games? Are you done toying around with the world and the things of the world? Everything we do begins with a decision. Every act we take, every, every, everything that we do in life begins with a decision. And what Joshua is asking of you today, what God is asking of you, I should say, is that you make a decision. If serving the Lord doesn't sound okay with you, then that's okay. You live your life and suffer the consequences. But if you're going to be serious about this, then you've got to make some changes. And you evaluate your life and you say to yourself, and you ask yourself this, where have I allowed the idols of this pagan country to come into my life? Where have I acted like an unbeliever? In what area of my life am I not living up to what God has called me to be? And you as a Christian have to decide what that is and what you're going to do with it. I can't live that for you. Joshua couldn't do it for the people. He said, you're going to have to make a decision. All I can do, he said, is to tell you what I'm choosing. You know, I stand here before you this morning, and all I can do is say, this is what I'll do. But I can't do it for you. So you have to decide. That's the challenge right there. That in a moment, whenever we close this up and we're bowed and silenced and you as a Christian are going to have to make a decision. And I pray that you would pledge yourself as Joshua challenged these people that I'm going to be very strong. I'm going to stand against uh, the evil in this world and I'm going to live for the Lord. And I'm going to be careful to obey. I'm going to plan it. I'm going to put some thought into it. I'm going to decide that before it ever happens. And I'm going to hold fast to the Lord no matter what happens. I'm going to hold fast to what I know to be true no matter what happens to me in this life. That my faith will not be shaken. That's my plea. Before we get to that time, let me just share this verse with you for those of you who may be here that do not know Jesus Christ is your Savior. Let me share these two verses with you, and then I'll close this up. In John chapter 6, verses 28 and 29, here's what Jesus said, okay? Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Everybody wants to know, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And God says, there it is right there. There's really no work involved on your behalf because Jesus did it all. And this is the work right here. You want to know the plan of salvation? That you believe on the one whom he has sent. If you're here this morning and don't understand that, then I would love to talk with you about that. There's a yellow card right there in front of you. And if you'll fill that out and drop it in the offering plate, I will meet with you and help you to find answers to your questions and lead you to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. For everyone else in here, I want us to bow our heads and to close our eyes, all of us together. And I'm asking you to make a decision as you sit here this morning. You know, this new year is kicking off here this week and 
You look back over the past year and you think to yourself, I have allowed myself to fall into the trap of thinking and acting like an an unbeliever. I've got to change. And so right here this morning, I choose. I make a choice. Like Joshua said, choose you this day. Who are you going to serve? So Lord, as I sit here before you, I choose you today. I will love you and serve you and hang on to you with all of my heart. In spite of what happens, I put you first right here today. Our Heavenly Father, we bow here before you. Father, we are overwhelmed with reality that this Christian life of ours is a life of details. It's a life of trusting you, but it's a life of making choices each and every day. And Father, if we want to experience victory and the abundant life and all the things that you have promised to us in this life, then Father, we make choices every day. And today, Lord, we choose to serve you. And Father, we thank you, we love you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.